attention today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. that. We don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer on another edition of RCST here. We are guestless on today's show. That's because we have a bunch of audio, because we have a bunch of content that we need to get to before the weekend. I thought you said we had a guest list for today's show. Oh. Like, who, who's, uh, who's on the list? Are we on the list? Uh, on the we list? are on the list. Brandon Schneider, because we have his audio. KJ Adams. Okay. Um. Who else do we got? Chandler Prather. Yep. Chandler Prather, yep. We got a couple KU football players. Mike Nowitzki. Yeah. So they're on the guest list. Okay. There we go. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. So tip off the season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. New customers can make any $5 NBA Moneyline bet and get $200 in free bets if your team wins. So uh, right now for the KU-Oklahoma game, KU getting nine points on DraftKings. Which that that number didn't change after the backlash Mm-mm. of the Jalen Daniels news. No. What, what number did change, though, was the overrun. Yes. It started at like 65, then it dipped to like 62.5, and, and it is back up to 64.5, I believe. Yes. Uh, the money line has also dipped a bit. KU is around plus 260. It's now plus 255. It's not by a ton, but it's down there. Uh, some of the player props are out, though. Jason Bean over under one and a half passing touchdowns. You can get the over at plus 130 as well, so it's kind of juiced up. Yeah, maybe. This is crazy. His over under for passing yards is 203 and a half. There was another book I saw. It was like 240, and I was like, that's way too high. This one feels a little more right. Um, yeah, I mean, he threw for 262 in one half against, he did. against TCU. I, I understand just, they were throwing the ball a lot, but Oklahoma. You know, if, he, if he goes deep, I mean, think about it. If he, if he connects with Quentin Skinner again on a couple deep yeah. balls— no, I, I, I like the 203.5. I don't mind that one. It's it's the 240 I would be a little hesitant of. Okay. Uh, Oklahoma's given up over 300 yards rushing per game in Big 12 play alone. And yeah. overall for the season, it's over 200. They're the only Big 12 team doing that. So that's why these two jump off for me. Devin Neal, 79.5 rushing yards. The problem is he hasn't gotten more than 15 carries in a game, but he had over 100 last year against him. Jason Bean at 40.5 rushing yards. I kind of like both of those. The thing about Jason Bean you have to be concerned about is, and we've actually heard about this from some of the coaching staff, is how much are they going to be willing to run Jason Bean with like design quarterback run stuff because of the fact that yeah. now you don't have that depth, that safety net that you had at quarterback with when you had Jalen Daniels. But so if they're going to run but, triple but, option, he's going to have to run at some point. That's correct, just maybe not as much. And again, Jason Bean... He's the guy that can get out of the pocket, and he could easily scramble for 25 yards on one play, right? Mm-hmm. So if you only need 40 or 37 or whatever, then you might get that in two plays. Yeah. 
Here's what else I like. Rushing touchdowns. Devin Neal over .5 is minus 130. Jason Bean over .5 is plus 150. Okay. Again, I think I, I, I understand where you're coming from with the Jason Bean stuff, but I'm just a little nervous about dabbling into that because I don't know what KU's going to do. That's fair. Okay, do you like any of the receiving ones then? Uh, Luke Grimm over .5 receiving touchdowns. It's plus 180. And then Lawrence Arnold's uh, receiving yards is 41.5. Luke Grimm 53.5. Well, that's pretty high for Luke Grimm, I feel like. Arnold is doable. You know what's funny? When I look at these props, I'm never like, that's too high, I should take the under. I'm like, that's too high, I'm just not going to take the over. Because I just only want to bet the over. Yeah, yeah, that is true. Well, because you always want to root for Yeah, yeah, exactly. You just want to root for... Good things. Mm-hmm. Good things happen. Okay, well, you can make your own choices on those. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code KLWN. Make any $5 bet this week to get $200 in free bets if your team wins. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code KLWN. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Bonus issued is free bets. One boost per eligible game. Opt-in required. Deposit, parlay, and wagering restrictions apply. Eligibility and terms at DraftKings.com dot draftkings.com slash basketball terms that's sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms how about this before we get into our KU Oklahoma preview I don't know if you saw last night West Virginia took down Baylor it was in Morgantown so same situation KU had to go into although for whatever weird reason like they're West Virginia is now 6-0 against Baylor in Morgantown I guess that would have been the case for for West Virginia KU too if if they would have won that game um but I guess in itself that proves to you that hey KU won in Morgantown. Baylor lost in Morgantown. Like yep. the two teams are probably pretty similar there. Both were close games. But above that, Blake Shape and the Baylor quarterback was hurt. So I, I know we want to focus on the game tomorrow and everything, but I do think it's important to bring up that like next week's gonna be a winnable game too in Waco. Yes. And I, I would go as far as to say that even if Blake Shapin was playing, I would still consider it a winnable game. Just not as much now, I suppose. But but, yeah, I mean, we're kind of getting into that point of the season where it's a war of attrition for some of these teams, right? And, and again, Andy Kilnicki brought it up. Like, the fact that KU has had Jason Bean as their backup quarterback, a guy who has Power 5 experience, obviously, from last season and has been at the college level playing for a long time, the fact that they have that type of player that they can come in and rely on with Jalen Daniels going down, some of these other teams can't say the same thing. Baylor could not say the same thing for their backup they brought in. And that's critical for KU. And, Depth has been uh, sort of a, a very important word thrown around for KU pretty much all season long, and we're starting to see that where it might nip some other teams, where KU might have the ability to 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 sustain even with those injuries. Obviously, Daniel Highshaw, one of their top two running backs, goes down. The running game has still been able to to sustain with who they've had. Jalen Daniels, they have Jason Bean as a backup, so they're able to still maintain with that with a little bit of dip there at quarterback. We think, but we're not really sure yet. But, again, for some of these other teams, that might not be the case. So I think it just goes to prove even more how important that is for KU, I guess. Okay, so let's preview Oklahoma. KU hasn't won in this series since 1997. They haven't won in Norman since 1996. And actually, funny enough about the last time they did win in Norman, you can make some parallels to this. Uh, OU was bad. They went 3-8 and eight that season. Kansas blew them out 52-24. to 24. So I've got some I've got some bad news for you, Derek. Okay, I, I was born in late 1997. 
Mm-hmm. So that means that I have never been, been oh, alive no. for KU to beat Oklahoma. Well, maybe that could be good news because that'll make the celebration even greater yeah. if they win for you. I suppose so. Yeah. And also, I, I know I mentioned this off air. I don't know if I brought it up on the show yet, but Oklahoma has had five losing seasons since World War II. Five in 80 years. <laughs> and if they lose this, it feels like you're heading to six. Yes. Yeah. And one of the years they had a losing season, the what you were, what you just brought up, the year they lost to KU, the last time they lost to KU, they had a losing season that year. So, more parallels. I I wonder, because as we've kind of talked this week, it's, it's tough to figure out what the emotion of Oklahoma will be. Like you've kind of said, well, if if they were going to get up for the game, why would you not get up for your rival? You know what I mean? And that's a very yeah. fair point. I've also wondered, though, if you know it's one thing to be embarrassed, it's another thing to be embarrassed by your rival. Maybe that kind of lights the fire under the butt. So I, I don't know what like level of motivation we're going to see from OU, but there is a world out there where it's a you know dead end Oklahoma where they're like, yeah, our season's over. Like we don't have much pl- to play for at this point in time, and KU does win. By a big amount. I think for me, if I'm like, if I'm categorizing the most likely outcomes of this game between KU winning close, OU winning close, and then either team blowing out the other, I think KU and OU both winning a close game is probably number one and two. But I honestly feel like it's more likely KU blows out Oklahoma than OU blows out KU. Could be. And the more you were talking about that, I was thinking maybe KU, this is a situation where KU might want the ball first. Right on offense, take the ball and then just set the tone for the game. Imagine you go down and you just score a touchdown, start the game. If Oklahoma was going to fight back, maybe you just knock them out right off the rip with it with a with a drive like that or to start the game, right? And maybe that kind of sits them back and they don't they're not able to get up from that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's one thought you could have, but but yeah, I the thing with Oklahoma is like assuming Dylan Gabriel plays, which we I think it's safe to assume that he will. We're not a hundred percent sure, but Everybody we've talked to, everybody that's been on the show has suggested that he more than likely is going to play. If he does come out and, and is playing at, a, playing at a high level or playing at the level that he's capable of playing at and being struggles, it's not out of the normal possibility that Oklahoma could run away with the game. But I, I almost have to agree with you, though. I think it's more likely that KU could, could blow him out. Yeah. Because if Gabriel obviously coming off of an injury, maybe he struggles. And if Bean picks up where he left off against TCU, and if the KU running game does what every other team has done against Oklahoma, which has been run all over them, Kansas, we know we know what the offense can do for KU, and maybe maybe they end up being the ones that kind of that kind of blow them out there. So it it is interesting, but yeah, I think the real question is, like I said, we expect Gabriel to play, but I guess maybe the follow up to that is, assuming he does play, what level is he going to play to? Is he going to be just right back to where he was in the first three games of the season where he was looking pretty good? Or is it going to be more of he struggled in the TCU game before he left, then he comes back and he's like coming off an injury and he still struggles? I don't know. I think that if he's playing for me, I just assume he's going to be good. 11 touchdowns, no interceptions, third in the conference in passing efficiency so far this season. I It's not an injury where it's like, hey, I have a high ankle sprain, I'm going to play, you yeah. know, I, I'm I'm better. I'm good enough to play, but I'm still going to be kind of limping around. Um, it's weird with concussions because it's not something that I think we have a full grasp of how to properly go through that and everything. But I don't 
view that as something where, yeah, it's going to affect him when he actually does play. You're right. There is a, a chance of, of what I talked about earlier this week, that this is just kind of the coaches just kind of messing around with each other and neither Jalen Daniels, which is not going to play, or Dylan Gabriel are going to play in the game. But I, I do expect him to play, and that means that for KU, the biggest thing is preventing those deep plays, preventing those deep passes. Yeah. KU's done a pretty good job at preventing big plays so far this season. They gave up a couple big ones, though, to TCU in the air, and a lot of it was just receivers making good contested catches, muscling down plays and everything. That has to be better for for KU this game. Now, I don't know if Oklahoma has as good of wet, like a, as many weapons as TCU had. In fact, I, f- I feel like they don't, but they still have some good ones. Marvin Mims is really good. Yeah. Uh, he plays a lot in the slot, but he can track down deep balls. Theo Weiss only has 11 catches this year, so he's not like a, a consistent threat, but he averages like 20 yards a catch. He's like a deep ball guy. So uh, with the way that the offense coordinator Jeff Lebby and Dylan Gabriel likes to play, they like to hit those deep shots. That's going to be the biggest key for KU on that side of the ball. And if you can you know, make Oklahoma more one-dimensional and stop Eric Gray, who is a good running back, then you get in these passing situations where the counter to that, if you want to hit some of these deep balls, it's going to take you a little bit more time to throw. And I think Lonnie Phelps has a very clear advantage against uh, the left tackle for Oklahoma. Yeah, I think you mentioned it. Oklahoma's left tackle is their lowest-rated pass blocker, I think, by quite a bit, right? It's their lowest-rated overall blocker okay. on, on uh, Pro Football Focus. Overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, there's two ways you can look at trying to stop the deep balls. One is coverage. Two is pressure. If you, if you get to the quarterback before those receivers can get down the field, they're not going to be able to hit those deep passes. So that's one way you could look at it. And certainly you, when you have a guy like Lonnie Phelps. But we've seen some games also where Lonnie Phelps has been the star. And we've seen some games where the rest of the platoon, so to speak, for the KUD line has come through with some big – you look at the Iowa State game, for example, where a lot of guys came through. And and so, yeah, that, that's that's going to be an interesting aspect of it. And, again, I mentioned this briefly when we were looking over our notes from the TCU game. KU played against Iowa State to very much stop the deep ball. Against TCU – the more I thought about it, I don't think they were able to play as much that way against TCU because they had to respect the fact that TCU averaged seven yards per carry. So we could see KU maybe revert back to more of a strategy that they used against Iowa State, which is really preventing the deep balls and maybe, I don't think disrespecting is the right term, but maybe just not being as concerned about the rushing game for Oklahoma as they might have been for TCU. So that's maybe something to keep an eye on. And on the other side, we know how bad Oklahoma's defense has been. They've been really bad, horrible. I mean, historically bad. <laughs> like I don't even know. I don't even know how to properly quantify how or really qualify how bad they've been. And for KU, listen, they can run the ball. The O line has been fantastic. If I'm KU, man, you got Jason Bean starting. Just run the ball. Just run right at him. See what they do. I think that'll probably be the plan. And also, Oklahoma, when they have Gabriel in there, they like to play super fast. They're one of the fastest playing teams in the country. If they are running the ball that effectively, you're going to be able to keep that offense off the field. And um, I know this is something that was talked about a lot this week in, in different media availabilities. KU's done a really good job subbing players in, and because they have such a depth of you know playing 12 defensive linemen every game and playing all these different DBs and linebackers, it allows them, when the offense subs at all, they're subbing in as well and slowing down the tempo, and I think those things are going to help them. I mean, remember last year. It was kind of a weird game, and in that game, um, 
KU was able to, to bleed out the clock. They had a nine-and-a-half-minute drive at one point. OU didn't score in the first half. So I, I think that would be pretty ideal for KU to to be able to do that. And, yeah, Oklahoma's been bad as a run defense. I, I mentioned earlier the, the gap between them and ninth is bigger than the gap between ninth and first in terms of rushing defense, yards uh, allowed on the ground per game. And then in Big 12-only play, they're giving up over 300 rushing yards per game. Yes. And guess what? They've struggled with dual-threat running quarterbacks. What does KU have? <laughs> they have a dual-threat running quarterback. Yeah, this feels like a game where the KU offensive line and, by extension, the, the tight end group has a chance to flex their muscles in, in the running game. Mm-hmm. Guys like Jared Casey and Mason Fairchild, who have been great run blockers for KU, this feels like a game where they're going to have a chance to maybe impose their will a bit and set the edge and let some of these KU running backs get to the outside and make some big runs. So that that's what I would watch for is – I think that should be KU's strategy. You have a backup quarterback. Oklahoma's run defense has been really bad. Why not go out, and certainly early in the game, and just test their will? I mean, test how much they're willing to fight in the trenches and just pound it at them and see what happens. There still is, like, a, I don't know, a thought in the back of my head, I guess would be the way to put it, that, hey, you still do have Brent Venables, and he's shown to be a really good defensive coordinator for a long time. Like, that, that yeah. doesn't just go away, and clearly they do yeah. still have – you know, talented players on that side of the football. There is a small part of me that that is worried that what if this is the week that it flips? You know what I mean? Like like for, for Texas, when they played Kansas last year toward the end of the season, they were probably thinking, oh, KU is horrible. And then the flip switched for Kansas. Yes, there were other things that went on. Jalen Daniels took over as quarterback and played really well. But those last three games, Kansas was completely different than the first nine games. So it's, it's impossible to predict – when you have a team with a new head coach trying to institute a new culture, when exactly over the course of the season is that switch going to flip? I think if you're Kansas, you just hope it doesn't switch this week. Well, And I think you and I both agree that Oklahoma is in a position where it kind of does feel like they could sort of wake up any week, right, and kind of get back to what they're what they're doing. And, and to your point, that could happen this week. After mm-hmm. a loss against Texas, you get embarrassed against Texas, and we've had some people come on the show and talk about, this this idea of well you know we're struggling but we're not going to lose to Kansas like really right like we've had that idea obviously Kansas I think has done enough at this point to maybe earn a bit more respect but maybe for maybe in the eyes of a team like Oklahoma and some of the other top teams in the conference maybe that sense of respect hasn't quite reached them yet in in some way or another so yeah I, I don't know I don't know it, it is interesting because I, I think you're right I think Oklahoma they have the talent certainly there's no question about that that they could turn it on or does it just come does it now just to a point where the the avalanche so to speak for Oklahoma is too much and they're they're just done they're just done for the season pick your player to watch for uh okay you can pick one on both sides if you want uh I will go with OJ Burroughs on defense for KU he's he's really blossomed into they made some great tackles against TCU and and in terms of stopping deep balls, he's going to be a guy to keep an eye on. He's kind of the over-the-top safety. So O.J. Burles will be defense. And offensively, I will go with one of Kai Thomas or Savion Morrison. Mm. You figure Devin Neal is going to get some of his love. What do those two guys do also to kind of help out in the run game? I like that. I like that. And especially with Savion Morrison, you wonder if he does start to get uh, maybe more touches. Yeah, because Golnicki made it sound like he was – he was coming up to a position where he might get some more. For sure, mm-hmm. I uh, Devin Neal and Jason Mean would be obvious ones. So I'll, I I won't take one of them. Um, 
I will go with Quentin Skinner. Seemed like he had a really good connection with Jason Bean yeah. in that game. Uh, you might. I don't think you might need more than you know two or three catches from Quentin Skinner in this game. But if one of them's a deep ball and another one's on a key third down, like that might be all you need with the running game going. But he certainly has uh, seemed to gain Jason Bean's trust. So I will go with Quentin Skinner as one of them. And then on the defensive side of the ball, I mentioned Lonnie Phelps. I feel like that's kind of an obvious one for me. But uh, again, to to stray away from kind of the obvious on that end, I would just say whoever is guarding Marvin Mims on a given play, I don't know if it'll be Kobe Bryant, Romello Dotson, mix of both, whatever. Yeah. We'll, we'll see something we talked about earlier this week. Like, is it a trend? Is it a problem against KU against really, really good receivers? And is Marvin Mims going to tear up this defense? If you can prevent him from going off and, you know, hold him to 60, 70 yards, I, I think that's a great sign. I wonder if they put him in the slot a lot, would that mean that Craig Young? Definitely is, possible. Is I mean, we've seen Kalen Gervin play a lot as like a nickel slot back as well. Because so. I think I think Dotson is is pretty much solidified as an outside guy. I don't think he would move inside. No, Kobe Bryant, I guess, could. But you know, would it be? Craig no, I Young? think it'd it be, be Gervin, Gervin and Craig Young, yeah. depending on on uh, the situation. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. We got all sorts of player audio, coach audio to share for you throughout the show. Some of that coming up next with Mike Nowitzki. We've got some more player audio coming up. We've also got our game picks. And then in the 5 o'clock hour, KU Mailbag, KJ Adams Audio, Devin Neal, Eric Gilliard. So plenty more to get to on today's show. Looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering? Venue 1235 has you covered. Located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. Venue 1235 is a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio. Kansas City Chiefs take on the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. It's the... 3 o'clock game, and this is not great. Andy Reid today said Brian Cook, the rookie safety who had been playing a lot recently, Rashad Fenton, who did get torched by Devontae Adams a bit, but still overall, you want <laughs> Rashad Fenton to, to not be injured and, and in there. Yeah. Tershawn Wharton, which that one sounded like he's going to be out for the season after the injury at the against Las Vegas, which sucks because he was playing a lot and playing really well. Uh, won't play against Buffalo. And then, here's the kicker. He added, quote, we'll see, end quote, about adding <laughs> quarterback Trent McDuffie, but says he's leaning toward resting him one more week. Yeah, I don't I don't think. I think with a guy like McDuffie and what the Chiefs expect him to be or hope for him to be, I don't think they should rush him back. I understand you're playing the Bills, but this is a, this is a game that, while at the end of the season it might have big consequences in terms of who might get the one seed, like you, I don't think McDuffie's the guy you want to rush back here. So on one hand, it's bad that he's not playing, <laughs> objectively. Yes. Objectively, it's bad. Agreed. But, but on the other hand, it would be much worse if he goes out there and re-aggravates it and suddenly he's out again for you know another three or four weeks, right? So I, I do think the right decision here would be to, to go ahead and hold him out. Now, with Fenton being out, makes it a bit more of a tougher decision, though, because now you're looking at rolling out two rookie corners, a fourth-round pick and a seventh-round pick, Joshua Williams and Jalen Watson, as your two outside guys, yeah. plus plus Legarius Sneed. Yeah, that's so it's a little scary. Yes. No, it's... it's, um, it's not uh, just a little. That's big scary. <laughs> it's very scary, especially with a guy like Stephon Diggs. And and Gabe Davis obviously had obviously had a big game last week. So yeah, that's, that's on my uh, scouting report for this game. Just have somebody in the <laughs> territory of Gabe Davis this time. 
Yeah, he, he had a he had a big game last week, and I, he had a big game against the Chiefs last season. Yeah, he had four right? touchdowns yeah. in oh, yeah, the playoff right. game, right. and like yeah, yeah. two or three of them, there was nobody even near him. It was like yeah. DB fell down or fell for a double move or whatever. <laughs> yeah, so so they have Gabe Davis, and and so it's it's definitely not good going up against the Bills when you have a very depleted secondary like that. But at the end of the day, I think this is this game was was probably going to be a high-scoring affair if the Chiefs were going to win, right? Like, if you went into this game and said, oh, this is going to be a defensive game, the Bills would win that game, I think, for sure. But if it ends up being a high-scoring game, then you like your chances for the Chiefs at mm. that point, right? See, that's interesting. I do think that having Harrison Butker back, if it is a close game or a defensive game, like, that does very much help the Chiefs. Yes. No, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, Harrison Butker uh, officially... Seems like he's going to be back, which is mm-hmm. which is good. So Chiefs fans can maybe stop having nightmares about kicking. But One thing that I guess worries me in this game a little bit: the Chiefs are just faster on defense, but without McDuffie, without Willie Gay, suspended one more game. Yeah, Josh Allen has kind of run all over the Chiefs' defense last year in the two games, the regular season and the the playoff game. He had 59 rushing yards and 68 rushing yards in the two games. So having Willie Gay, a really fast linebacker, to help keep up with that would be very beneficial, but you don't. Nick Bolton still does have speed at the linebacker position. That'll help. I'm a little worried there. I'm worried about the secondary. Yeah. I kind of add those all those things up, and then you look at how good the Bills' pass rush has kind of looked early on in this season with how much at times the Chiefs' pass blocking has struggled. You want to hear something interesting? Yes. Von Miller teams against Patrick Mahomes, 0-5. <laughs> I don't know how much of that is on Von Miller, though. You know what I mean? I'm just, listen, I'm just telling you the facts. No, that's I'm fair. Just you, I'm that's just telling fair. you the facts. I would blame more of that on, like, Drew Locke, personally, but point stands. Well, and also the other part of that, like Mitchell Schwartz was always dominant against Von Miller. He was so good in that matchup. Uh, you don't have him anymore. I think Von Miller actually said in the media this week, he said that uh, Mitchell Schwartz was Just his, his number? the toughest match. He, he said he's the toughest matchup of anybody he's ever had to go against. Wow. Which is it's that's high praise. very high praise. Yeah, yeah that's high praise, yeah. I, I do think that if this game does become a blowout or is not as close as people are expecting it to be one way or the other, there will be a lot of overreactions. And I, mm, I personally am not going to overreact to this game one way or the other. Like if, if don't the Bills, you think that last year though would quell some of those overreactions? I don't think so. You don't because, think so? No, because this year I think coming up to this point in the season, it's even more so. People are saying, okay, the Bills and the Chiefs are the two best teams in the league, but the Bills, the Bills are in a are in a stratosphere of their own, right? So if the Bills go in and, and beat up on the Chiefs, it's going to be. Oh my gosh, it's gonna be so bad. It's just gonna be oh, bills this, bills, 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 blah, 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 right? I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna let that get get to me as a Chiefs from the Chiefs' perspective, uh, because it happened last year. The Bills came in and, and really handled the Chiefs pretty easily at Arrowhead, and then they met again in the playoffs, and obviously it was a completely different story in terms of how the game went. And so, the- so yes, I, I do think it's I, I I understand where you're coming from, but this year it's it's it would be really bad from the media standpoint because, like I said, I think people are continuing to put the Bills on a very, very high pedestal. And obviously, I think I think the Chiefs have earned a lot of respect over the past couple weeks also with their wins against the Chargers and uh, my, my mind's blanking on whoever they just beat last week. I can't even remember. 
Uh, the Raiders? <laughs> Raiders, there yeah. you go. Okay, my bad. I had a bit of a my brain shut down there. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think and, – and if the Chiefs blow out the Bills, then it would be obviously the other direction where the Chiefs, I think, at that point would become, oh, you know, but – but I don't want that. Listen, part of the Chiefs' problems they had last year was I feel like they got into the situation of they just had this mentality of we're just going to go in and oh we can just we can just flip the switch and win any game. Well, guess what? That that set them off to a two and five start. So I don't want them to get that mentality again if they beat the Bills and they just think that they can just turn it on and win any game they want. So I I don't know I don't know. But I'm just I'm just telling you there's if if it ends up being not a close game whichever direction, the overreactions are going to be crazy. You you might be right. I, I still do think the fact that it happened last year and the Chiefs ended up being fine and still beating the Bills in the playoffs would help, but I don't think so. The fact that, yeah, the Bills, it does feel like this time is more of a, like they might be just be the best team in the NFL yeah. this time, where last year it felt like it was kind of a discussion. And for first-round by purposes, from the Chiefs' standpoint, this is maybe a must-win game. For the Chiefs, if they really want a first round bye, I mean, the Chiefs are four and one. The Bills, the Bills have only one loss, also, right? They lost to the Dolphins, and that's it, I think. Yeah. So, so you know, you're talking about two teams with the same record, and they could very well both end up having the same record at the end of the season. They could both be twelve and five. They could both be thirteen and four. They could both be eleven and six. Whatever. So, from that standpoint, this game does hold a significant amount of weight in terms of possibly securing that first round bye. And listen. If that game last season between the Bills and the Chiefs is not at Arrowhead, the Chiefs do not win. So it matters. It certainly matters. Like, forget about, like, the first round, the bye itself obviously matters significantly. But just for the Chiefs, from the Chiefs' standpoint, Arrowhead matters also significantly. Is this the week that we finally get an MVS or McCole Hardman deep ball touchdown? God, I hope so. <laughs> Dude, every week I've been sitting here looking like a clown. Oh, McCole, McCole's going to make something happen. I mean, seriously, come on. But hopefully it's this week. Because I'm telling you, it's coming, man. It's coming. Every week, I have been sort of right. You know how? How's that? Mecole's been open on deep balls every week. <laughs> and Pat just can't like Odell him. Beckham's dad. Like, he's open every play. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not that far. But again, he was he was running against the Raiders, uh, I think in the third quarter. He was running, he was running a deep crosser, and he was open. Mahomes missed him. He was open twice against uh, against uh, the Colts. He was open again against the, the game before that. So I hope it's this week. So then I can feel a little bit of I can feel vindicated. And for MVS, he's coming off his certainly his best game as a Chief, maybe one of his best games of yeah. his career against the Raiders. Yeah, if he if he does well again, I we're gonna start having a conversation about like is he developing into the Chiefs number one? Yeah, where's Juju? I mean, he's. It feels like he's dropped there, like, kind of a big just, pass like the last couple weeks. Yeah, where it wasn't like an easy pass. Like he was kind of getting hit while it came in, but one that you would hope your number one receiver would come down with, and he hasn't been able to. He just he hasn't really fully emerged. And I think it's left the door open for a guy like MVS. Um, maybe this is the week that that happens. Are Are you more concerned about the Chiefs' defense versus the Bills' offense, just because of how good the Bills' offense is, or are you more concerned about, like obviously? The easy answer is yes, the defense is worse than the Chiefs' offense. But just in terms of compared to expectations, who will perform better, the Chiefs' offense versus the, the Bills' defense or vice versa? Yeah, it is interesting because we know how good the Bills' defense is, but I feel like leading up to this matchup, the highlights have been on the other side of the ball or have been on how good the Chiefs' offense has been. And, and the Bills' defense, they're no slouches. 
right? But on the defensive side for the Chiefs, earlier in the week, I was feeling pretty good. But the news today with some of these injuries, I think, comes as a big blow to the Chiefs. And... Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, they did. They they did these things. They went out and got certain players to make their team faster on defense. They don't even get Willie Gay. Trent McDuffie's out. I mean, you're looking at George Karloftis might need to have a good game, and Brian Cook is out, who was coming along. But I actually think the player to watch defensively for this game for the Chiefs is Justin Reed. I think Justin Reed is the guy to watch because, listen, he came down against Josh Jacobs in the Raiders game, and he he got blown up but he made the tackle, right? And if if Josh Allen is going to scramble a lot and make plays like that, maybe where you would think it would have been Willie Gay, but because he's suspended, maybe it's Justin Reed as the guy who's playing that kind of box safety hybrid linebacker position that's coming down and having to try to contain Josh Allen. That could be his role this week. So he he's the guy on defense I want to pay the biggest attention to, I think, in the secondary. And obviously Nick Bolton. I mean, I think Nick Bolton is going to have to have an A-plus performance, certainly because Willie Gay is out. And then Chris Jones, <clears throat> listen, I don't think that I have given Chris Jones enough props. In the preseason, I said, Chris Jones needs to be the best, needs, needs, needs to be the best player on the Chiefs defense. That doesn't mean he needs to have the most stats. It just needs to mean that he needs to affect the game the most with what he's doing. And guess what? He's done that. Yeah. He has done that and then some. He's been fantastic. He's the set. He's He's the highest-rated uh, defensive player by Pro Football Focus in the league, I think, right now. I'm pretty sure, or certainly among pass rushers. I don't know if he's in, like among all defenders, but among among like D linemen, pass rushers, I'm pretty sure he is. So I want to give him some credit because I, <clears throat> I mean, he doesn't listen to the show, obviously. But <laughs> hey, <you never laughs> before know. the season, I challenged him. I said, don't "Hey, tell us short, Chris Jones, it's got to be the best defender on the Chiefs' defense if the Chiefs' defense wants to reach their maximum potential." And he very much has been. Very much has been. So shout out Chris Jones. I wonder if we're going to see a breakout Sky Moore game. We saw him, like, he hasn't been super involved in the offense, obviously. But we have seen the snaps kind of go up a little bit over these last couple weeks. And if there was ever a question about, do you trust Sky Moore? Don't you think if they didn't, why would they be throwing two screen passes to him on the, the final Chiefs offensive drive of the game trying to ice the game up? Maybe. I wonder if we're going to see a breakout from him. So this is actually going to transition over. Like, I'm looking at DraftKings right now. Okay. Who would you be more inclined to take if you had to take one of these for any time touchdown score? Sky Moore at 7-1, to one, Justin Watson at 8-1, to one, or Jody Fortson at plus 475. What's interesting about that is Jody Fortson didn't really... His impact on the Raiders game wasn't that much, I don't think. No, he's pretty much like a touchdown or bust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would probably still go with him, though. Because I think I think when we had Jesse Newell on the show to talk about Sky Moore, I, I, I think Jesse's pretty much got this one right on the head, which is... Sky Moore right now might be kind of on the tertiary or not not a real rotation guy in the offense. But I think in, in six weeks, in two months, he's going to be at that level. There's no question that the Chiefs drafted him for that purpose and they just want to give him some time to get into the offense and get into the flow of things and build some build some rapport and everything like that. So I, I don't I don't know that he'll he's gonna have a breakout game this week. 
But I do think I agree with Jesse in that. I think coming up in another six weeks or eight weeks or towards the end of the season, he's going to be a significant part of the Chiefs offense. Okay, well, let's talk some uh, maybe prop bets for this game. So I made the note, Josh Allen, 59 and 68 rushing yards in the two games. Some other things okay. of note between the, the two games last year and the regular season, postseason. Chiefs held Stephon Diggs to just five total catches in the two games. They don't have any corners this week, Derek. No, they don't. I'm just pointing no, it out. Sorry, that's that's kind of disrespectful to, to Jalen Watson. Yeah. Jalen Watson won the Chiefs the Chargers game. Uh, the running backs caught 12 passes, six in each game exactly for the Chiefs in the two Bills games last season. So far this year, they're averaging under five, so maybe slightly increased chance for the running backs in this game. And uh, how about your guy with McCole Hardman? In the two games against the Bills last year, he had 12 touches, 133 yards, and a touchdown. I will buy a Miko Hardman jersey if he's. You will buy. It. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you heard it here. Uh, you can get him anytime touchdown at plus 330. That seems too low, almost. Has he even scored a touchdown this year? I don't think. So. I don't think so. So you think that's too low? As in, like the as odds in, should be higher. Yes. Okay. As in, it should. He be does have one touchdown this year. Because yeah, that's basically saying can he score a touchdown once every like three games? Okay. That's not really the pace he's on. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like that. I don't love that. Okay, I wouldn't, let's I wouldn't see. put my money where my mouth is on that one. The over under for Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes two ninety seven and a half for passing yards for both of them. Yes. It's the same. Yes. Oh. Same odds and everything. Yeah. I mean, I mean, again, this I will say, everything about this game is trending towards it being just a you know crazy offensive game, 38, 31, whatever. Sometimes when the Chiefs come into games like this, it ends up being a defensive battle. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. They've had some games like this where you go into it thinking it's going to be the Chiefs offense and the opposing team offense going crazy, and then it ends up being a defensive game. I'm not saying I think this will be that game, but I'm not ruling it out. Here's what I like. McCole Hardman's over-under for receiving yards. I like the over. McCole Hardman? Yeah. What's his number? Like 17? 25 and a half. Okay. Wow, they're giving a lot. the books are giving a lot of respect to McCole Hardman. Well, it's not that much respect. It's 25 yards. <laughs> um <laughs> Jarek McKinnon, the over on 17 and a half. I'm a little bit scared that the Chiefs have not shown like, hey, we're just going to stick with this running back. He's doing well. But Jet McKinnon had a really good game against the the Raiders. Yep. And I think he is the Chiefs' best running back. Obviously, you can't give him a full load of a you know season and stuff because he gets injured a lot. But 17 and a half yards after what he did last week, I would think that he's going to kind of be the guy. Okay. And then as far as receptions, I would be tempted by the Clyde Edwards Delaire two and a half, by the Sky Moore one and a half. Do we go with the Travis Kelsey six and a half? For receptions? Yeah. What about this? You could do rush plus receiving yards for Jet McKinnon at 33 and a half. Would you be I more... do like that. Yeah, I like that a lot. Then it kind of Yeah. Cause he very well could, you know, run the ball. You can get your guy, Justin Reed. You said he's going to have a a big game or needs to. Over five and a half tackles, it's plus 115. I saw that, and I think that would be a bet that I would be interested in because I do think – I think he and Nick Bolton are going to be – have to be the leading tacklers for the Chiefs defense. I think Nick Bolton's number is like eight and a half. Mm -hmm. So that's a lot of tackles. Yeah. I'm, I'm taking the over on Josh Allen rushing yards. I'm just pointing that out. Okay. Anything else you want to bring up? Uh, I think that's it. Okay. He's Nick Springer. 
Man of many words. <laughs> I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. That's our Chiefs-Bills preview. We'll recap whatever happens on Monday's show. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Caleb Taylor, KU defensive tackle, spoke with the media earlier this week. We'll share that for you coming up next. We got our game picks coming up here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Before we get into the game picks, I'll just say I'm glad we didn't pick the game last night. What's up? Oh. What was what was the worst Thursday night football game? Last night or the one before? They were both I, terrible. They were both really bad. Yeah. I saw a picture. Someone someone tweeted out a picture of Al Michaels from like the sixties when he was like first starting out broadcasting, and it was like Al Michaels the last time he called a touchdown. <laughs> Do so, you think Yeah, I mean I honestly listen. He's gotta be regretting up, going to doing the Thursday night football, right? End up I did not watch a single second of last night's game. I just decided, you know what, for my own personal health, I'm just going to mm-hmm. not watch horrible football. That was the the more sane way of doing it. I just had it on the – it was muted on a second TV. <laughs> I was doing other stuff, and it was just, like, on. I was sort of paying attention to it, so I couldn't tell you everything that happened. But I got the gist of it. It was a bad game. Yes. And uh, the end was I think, kind of exciting, I, I guess. I think the Broncos-Colts game might have been worse, though. I think it was because you had the – the overtime factor, where the yes. overtime just made it even yes, worse and like longer, more excruciating. Yes, yes, I uh, agree. And yeah. at least there was a touchdown <laughs> last night. That was a positive. That's true. There was a touchdown last night. Okay, let's get to our game picks for the week. We are struggling. If you're fading us, you're making money. Nick, yeah, is- it turns out we suck. <laughs> Nick is twenty three thirty six and one. He's twenty seven forty one and three with locks. I am twenty six thirty three and one. Thirty forty and one. With the locks in there as well. We'll start okay, so college football. I'm not that much worse than you right now. No, it's, I mean, that's that's one week away yep, from yep, getting by me. Yep, just one hot week, one hot week. All right, college football. Hopefully we both have hot weeks. Uh, you were 14 and 21. Last week, bad for both of us. You were 0 and 5. <laughs> I was 1 and 4. Not much better. I'm 16 and 19 college football. We'll start number 10, Penn State. At number 5, Michigan, Wolverines are giving up seven points. I think seven's a pretty high number. I don't feel like Penn State's getting enough respect here, so I'm going to go with Penn State. I understand it's at the big house, but I think I don't know that Penn State's going to win this game, but I think it's going to be a close game throughout. I don't think Penn State's just going to get blown out. So I'm riding with Penn State here, plus seven. I think they'll cover. I don't know that they will win outright, but I think they will cover the plus the plus seven. Or minus seven. Plus seven. I didn't know a ton to do on this. Um, I know that the public money is is with Penn State on this one. I, I don't know if that – there's got to be someone, right, who at some point was just like, I'm just going to bet against every single team that has public money on oh, it. Oh, I'm sure, yes. Because Vegas makes money. So, of course, the teams with the most money on it are going to lose. But somebody would have had to try that, and there's no way it worked consistently, right? So, yes. I don't know if that's actually, like, a good strategy or not to, to bet on it. But um, I just – I'm not a Sean Clifford guy. With Penn State and their quarterback, we've been through this one too many times. I think Michigan's got a really good defense. Um, Blake Corum, maybe this is a game that, because he's already kind of a Heisman candidate, maybe this is a game that that he really starts to kind of create his stamp up there. So I'm, I'm going to go Michigan, minus the seven points. I, I think that they can kind of just uh, shut down the Penn State offense. Number three, Alabama is giving up seven points. They're at Tennessee. So the issue with this uh, game is that Bryce Young, I think, is still a game-time decision. Yes. It's not been announced one way or the other about his status for this game, which I think definitely affects, obviously, the outcome of the game. But I am going to ride with Bama. Another another player for Bama that I think has kind of gone under the radar, maybe a little bit more nationally, is Jameer Gibbs, the running back. Mm-hmm. 
I think he ran. He averaged like 15 yards a carry in their win against Arkansas, whatever, on like 12 carries. He had like 220 yards or something. So I'm gonna ride with Bama here just because they're Bama, and I know Tennessee had a big win against LSU, but it's Bama. How do you, how are you gonna bet against Bama? Yeah, this is another one where the the public money is on Tennessee here. I, I'm going to go Alabama as well. I, I kind of am under the expectation that uh, Bryce Young does play in this game. And I continue to be kind of a Tennessee hater. So let's see what they can do, if they can do okay. something with it this week. But I, I think people are probably too low on Alabama right now after the close win over Texas A&M. Maybe too high on Tennessee right now because of the fact that they have looked so good this season and have see, kind of passed every test. What's, what's sad about that statement that you just made is like, People are too low on Alabama and too high on Tennessee, and yet Bama is still a seven-point favorite. <laughs> yes, on the seven road. Seven points. On the road against the top ten Against team. a team that yeah. we think might be overrated? Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay, uh, honestly, this is such a good week of college football. Yeah, this is the best week of the season, I think, by far. Th- there's six top 25 matchups between top 25 teams, so we didn't even get every top 25 matchup on here. Uh, number eight, Oklahoma State, at number 13, TCU. Horned Frogs are giving up three and a half. Yeah, this is interesting. Obviously, we just saw TCU last week against Kansas. I'm a bit surprised that TCU is favored here. I guess they got the home field advantage with with Oklahoma State coming in. And I think this is a tough matchup because Oklahoma State still, to me, hasn't really had that moment of like, okay, this is for sure a good team. Like, obviously, they're undefeated and they've won all their games. But they haven't had a game where I've kind of after the game and sat back and thought, yeah, these guys are legit. Maybe that happens this week against TCU, so I'm going to go with Oklahoma State. I think they, I think they'll get the win outright, actually, against against TCU because TCU obviously beat Kansas, but Max Duggan is is he the type of guy that's going to have this this hot of a season throughout the whole season, or is he going to start cooling off at some point? I think that's a serious question you have to have for TCU. They have a lot of athletic receivers also, and and their defense is good but not great. So I am going to ride with the more experienced team here, which would be Oklahoma State, and I think Oklahoma State finds a way to get it done. Yeah, definitely the fact that it's three and a half makes me want to take Oklahoma State here, and I am. Um, I do think TCU wins the game. It's funny because when Oklahoma State beat Baylor, we kind of took that as, okay, they're undefeated, like they haven't really been tested. Okay, now they beat Baylor. We know they're good, but now, based on what happened with Baylor... Now, all of a sudden, you have to question again whether or not... Again, like I said, Oklahoma State, they haven't had that moment where you can sit back and say... Yes, this is a this is a legitimately great team. Well, it's funny because we can really do that with everyone. Like I could do that with TCU right now too. Yes, you could do the same thing with TCU. Exactly. Like, yes. Is Oklahoma any good? Exactly. SMU are they any good? Like Kansas, no. what happens if they finish six and six? Is it that big of a win? I don't know. So, um, I'm just gonna go with Oklahoma State with the three and a half. A lot of these Big Twelve games between a lot of the the good teams are really close, and I think this will be a close game. So give me the three and a half points. Number 15, NC State at number 18, Syracuse. Syracuse is undefeated, man. They're giving they up are. three and a half points here. NC State is playing a uh, backup quarterback here. Syracuse is one of those teams that I wonder if they feel slighted nationally because there are a lot of teams that have historically been not very great that are having really, really great starts to their season. And it just feels like because of the Kansas narrative and what Kansas football has done, They've kind of absorbed all of the national spotlight. This is the first time Syracuse has been undefeated this far in the season, I think, in like 30 years or something. They're having a really great season. NC State, they battled against Clemson, which at the time of that game, I I was going into that game against Clemson for NC State saying, you know, NC State might be frauds. Like, we'll see what they do against Clemson. They played Clemson pretty close. 
which is which was interesting to me. So I kind of bought back in a little bit on him. But you know what? I got to go with the undefeated Orange here. Come on, give me Syracuse. I've gone back and forth on this. Um, I'm going to stick with my original pick. NC State was who I picked. I was going to change it to Syracuse because NC State has a backup quarterback in, and they're two backup quarterbacks. I guess one was a receiver who threw a pass. Uh, but their two non-first-string quarterbacks went one for two for negative five yards against Florida State when they came in in that game. The defense is still good, though, for NC State. They still won them that game, 19-17 yeah. over Florida State. I think this is a close game. I kind of think Syracuse wins, but I could see it being within the three. So I'll take NC State. Number seven, USC at number 20, Utah. How about this? Utah's favored by three and a half. Yeah, this is surprising because we just saw Utah lose by double digits against UCLA. And... Obviously, coming into the season, Utah was looked at as the maybe the one of the perennial favorites for the Pac-12. They lose to Florida, then they kind of bounce back and had a good stretch of games. Then this loss against UCLA, and now you're kind of like, hey, what's going on with Utah? Whereas USC, they've had some close games themselves, and we know their defense is not very good. That's the classic staple of Lincoln Riley coach teams is the defense <laughs> has to suck. But they have Caleb Williams still. I'm, I'm a bit surprised to see this line where it is, so I'm going to go with USC. I am going to go Utah. This feels like a Vegas knows something line. <laughs> it's enough for me. Uh, Utah bounces back. They're playing at home. USC, the only real like true road test they've had was Oregon State, and they almost lost that game yes. to Oregon State. And Utah's better than Oregon State. I'll go with Utah. Lock of the week, we're both 2-4 and four in college football, so I guess it's the anti-lock of the week. Who you got? <laughs> My anti-lock of the week is Nebraska plus 14 against Purdue. I think Purdue's going to win, but Nebraska suddenly is they're they're listen, they could win the Big 10 West. Like that's <laughs> that's a real statement that you can say. So, I'm going to go with Nebraska plus 14. I'm not going to go as far as say that they win, but I think they'll cover the 14 against Purdue. Purdue only shows up when they're playing top 25 teams. Yeah. Uh I am going to go with the Wisconsin Michigan State under 49 and a half. Wisconsin just laid 42 on Northwestern that week. They they seem to have revitalized spirit under Jim Leonard, the head coach. But in Power 5 games this season, Wisconsin's averaging just 22 points per game. In Power 5 games this season, Michigan State is averaging just 17. That would give you 10 points to work with. Also, Wisconsin has a very good defense. Michigan State, again, don't really like their offense and everything. I like the under here at 49.5. On to the NFL, where on the season... You are 9-15-1. I am 10-14-1. So just one game better. Both of us 2-3 last week. Yeah, pretty close. First up, Minnesota has given up three points at Miami, and Skylar Thompson is starting for the Dolphins. I'm going to go with Minnesota here. It's not a primetime game. I think I think the Vikings are are a good team. Or I, I mean, I know they have Kirk Cousins, but they're, they're a good team. They're, they're a good team. With Skylar Thompson starting for Miami, obviously there's a lot of question marks for, for the Dolphins. And... I'm going to ride with Minnesota here. It's not a primetime game. I, I'm, i like, weirded out by why this line is only three. You think it should be Minnesota by more? Well, we saw the Dolphins playing with with a third-string quarterback against the Jets, and they lost 40-17. to 17. So, like, uh-huh. I get it. If, if Tua was playing, they might be favored or it might be a pick em. If Even Teddy Bridgewater's playing. I could get on board with this line being three. But we saw it last week. It did not look good. I'm going Minnesota. I feel weird about the line, so I feel weird <laughs> taking that, but... Yeah, I'll take the Vikings. Okay. Uh, Baltimore, minus five and a half at the New York Giants. This is kind of a risky pick for me. I'm taking the Giants, man. I'm taking the Giants. I'm taking the G-Men. You're buying in. Honestly, exactly, yes. Did you see Brian DeBall after they beat Green Bay? This dude was like, <laughs> he was, it was, it was incredible. He was, it was like the Terminator out there. He was going crazy. 
So I love his energy. Uh, you know, Daniel Jones, whatever. They still have Saquon. The defense has been pretty good for the Giants. I don't know that they're going to win the game, but I could easily see this being like a 20-17 to 17 type game. Give me the Giants. I am going to go with the Ravens here. I think the Giants coming off a high, and they just played in London, and now you have to play a physical offense that likes to run the football bunch with the Ravens. I think it starts to come crashing down a bit for the Giants. I still think the Giants could go like 7-10. and uh, they have four wins. 7-10. Yeah, I know. You think the Giants are just going to completely fall apart? I, I do think they could. Do you remember wow. that year? I, gosh, was it the Vikings? I want to say the Vikings or someone started. It was a couple years ago. Started like four and zero, and they finished like it was like six and ten or something <laughs> like that. I could see. Uh, wow, kind so of a you feel the same Giants. way about the Giants that I feel about the Broncos? Yes, yes. Okay, that's that noted. Buffalo minus three at Kansas City. Eric, I've told you before, man. If you put Kansas City on here, I'm riding with the boys. Give me the Chiefs here. Plus, they're they're getting points at Arrowhead. Definitely give me the Chiefs. I'm going to go with the Bills. I'll be the hater here. I just, the Bills are so good. And, and honestly, I'll are. be completely honest. I was going to pick the Chiefs before Andy Reid said all those injuries. Yeah, that's a tough one. That, that is tough. The fact that you're down to three corners and two of them are rookies against Stephon Diggs, Gabriel yeah, Davis, and Josh Allen. It's a seventh-round pick and a fourth-round yeah. pick. Yeah, it's not, it's not good. So, again. If, give me give me Mahomes, baby. If he said Trent McDuffie's going to play and maybe if Willie Gay were playing, if it was another game down the road, I, I would be picking the Chiefs here. But because all those things, I'm worried about the defensive side of the ball. Tashawn Wharton out, too. I'm going to go with Buffalo minus the three points. Dallas at Philadelphia. The Eagles are giving up six and a half. I can't decide if this is a we respect the Eagles big time line or if it's we just think Cooper Rush is going <laughs> to fall out of the stratosphere and come back to being a, a backup quarterback. Maybe a little bit of both? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm going to go with Philadelphia here at six and a half. I think, I, I don't know, man. I mean, this is a really tough one. I'm back and forth on this one. I'm really on the fence about it, but I think I'm going to stick with Philadelphia. I think the defense of Philadelphia, they have one of the best D lines in the league. They'll find a way to, to kind of stuff the Cowboys. And this, this could be, you know, a, a 23 to 13 type game. I'll go, I'll go with Philly to cover here. Hmm. It's a tough one. This is this is I think the toughest pick it of the is. week. Yeah, it's very tough because that is a lot of points for a game between two really good teams. And I'm tempted to take Dallas because I could see this being a low-scoring defensive battle, 17-14 yep. or something. I am going to go Philadelphia. I don't really know why. I guess just much more complete on offense than what Dallas think, has been with. Cooper Rush is going to go back to being bad. I feel like there's got to be a game where he has like two or three interceptions, right? Maybe this game. Maybe. Denver at the Chargers. I think this is Monday Night Football. It is. Uh, Chargers yeah, are giving up four and a half. For some reason, the football gods have cursed us to watch the Broncos <laughs> in prime time yet again. <laughs> I, I don't even understand how this keeps happening. If I told you you could only watch the Broncos in football on prime time the rest of your life and no other football, would you do it? I, or would you give up football? Oh, my gosh. Or how about this? How I about might this? give it no, up. No, no, no. I might legitimately this? give it up. You can watch all the football games you want, but you have to watch every play of Broncos football <laughs> in order to unlock watching <laughs> the other stuff. I, I would, I would probably be willing to do that. Okay. Just think about it. You just you suffer for three hours, and then you get to be free to actually enjoy your life <laughs> and watch other games. I would probably be willing to accept that. But I don't know if it's worth in it. this in this situation, I'm going with the Chargers. The Broncos stink. <laughs> I'm going to say it every week. They're not a good team. Chargers are going to win. I think that this is going to be kind of an ugly game. Like, shocker, here's another primetime game this year that's going to be a little low scoring <laughs> and ugly, right? 
Um, I think Denver's going to keep it close. I do think the Chargers win the game. Four and a half to me feels like too many points. Denver's defense has been good. Chargers defense has been good. I think this is going to be like, I don't know, 20 to 17, 17, 14, 16, 13. Okay. Somewhere in that range. So I'm going to take the Broncos with the points in this game. What is your lock of the week where you are 2 1 and 2? My lock of the week for NFL, I'm going with the 49ers minus 5.5 against the Falcons. The 49ers, listen, they got the Jimmy G buff. They're looking really good. We know the defense is, is elite for San Francisco. The Falcons, I know, are the Falcons still undefeated against the spread? Yes, they are because they covered. They, they were down 21 nothing to the Bucks. That was my lock. <laughs> and the Bucks just were like, yeah, we're fine from here. We don't need to play anymore. And the Falcons covered the spread. Well, the 49ers are the Falcons' kryptonite this week. I'm telling you. 49ers minus 5.5. Yeah, I, I just kind of got spurned in that way, so I'm not going to go back to that direction. I am 2-3-0 uh, with my locks. I'm going to go Dallas-Philadelphia under 42. Dallas, I think, is a top five defense. Philadelphia is a top, I don't know, they might be in that range, top 10 defense. Yep. Uh, I don't trust the Dallas offense a ton, especially against a really good defensive line that should be able to stop the run and get pressure on Cooper Rush. I like the under here of 42, and again, I'm kind of leaning into the idea of Primetime unders. That's the way to go, I okay. guess, at this point. Okay. I've already lost too much money on the primetime <laughs> overs. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Two Nick hours down. all of those picks, by the way. <laughs> yeah. One to go. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. KU Mailbag, next. Five o'clock hour. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We got... Uh, high school football coming at you tonight on KLWN. Lawrence High Free State in the city showdown over at Lawrence High School. Pre-game 645, kickoff at 7 with Hank Booth and Matt Llewellyn on the call of that one. Late night in the fog at 6. You can catch all the action on the Jayhawk app. And then tomorrow we have KU taking on uh, Oklahoma with pregame at 9.30, kickoff at 11 o'clock right here on your original home for the Jayhawks, FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Okay, KU mailbag time. First up from Tim, if Bean gets hurt, assuming Jason Bean, if Jason Bean gets hurt, what <laughs> happens at quarterback? Um, so I coming into the week, my answer would have been either Ethan Vasco or Ben Easters. Those are the guys that were competing for number three. Based on everything that we have heard in media veils and from coaches and players and all sorts of stuff, sounds like Ethan Vasco would be the backup. Yeah. Yeah, it does sound like he'd be the guy. There was a lot of questions about him, a lot of talk about him this week. Obviously, because of now, with no more Jalen Daniels, you'll have Jason Bean. So what's the backup plan in case Jason Bean goes down? It sounds like it would be Vasco. And you had mentioned that it could be something like what the Giants did, where they just put anybody at quarterback. Why not? Line up anybody. Maybe maybe Quentin Skinner played high school quarterback, or maybe yeah. maybe you give Devin Neal a shot in the Wildcat. Or well, Tory Lachlan or... did play quarterback in high school, right? He so did? You, you play a little. You play Devin Neal also plays baseball, so maybe he has yeah. at least some bit of an arm. You you play yeah. a little bit of Wildcat. What the Giants did when uh, Daniel Jones got injured in that I think it was the Bears game. Yep. I think you could probably see some of that, maybe a little bit, um, especially if you're running option. It's not as big of a and deal. We, we heard Vasco has some legs. Yes, heard. he does. So maybe they could still work the option game with him at quarterback. Yeah, and and I'll be clear. Like I've I've heard very good things about Ethan Vasco and and what he can be, and that he's kind of a, a quick twitch athlete type of guy who has a, a quick release um, and is pretty good at maneuvering the pocket and scrambling around and whatnot. But I've also heard that hey, he's a true freshman quarterback. Like. You don't want to be throwing out true freshman quarterback in nope. 
you know, to the limelight, it, uh, unless it's like a whatever, like a, yes. a Caleb Williams or some five-star. Even then, he like redshirted coming in last year, but you know what I mean. Yep. Um, so, ideally, you don't have to play him or Ben Easters in the game, but it is good to note, especially with a running quarterback like Jason Bean or, you know, what happens if you have a play where the quarterback's helmet comes off and then he has to come out for a play and... Um, you have somebody else come in in that situation. Maybe if it's that situation, that would be the where the the wildcat come kind of comes into play. But yeah, it sounds like that'll be the the backup option. Ethan Vasco and then Ben Easters, who's a redshirt freshman, would be uh, number three. Okay, this one from Josh. I brought up KU to the Big Ten in the off season and speculated that the Big Ten is just waiting on KU's football program to prove it's progressing. You guys touched on it in your recent update earlier this week. Any further thoughts? I would say, first off, I think Travis Goff has done a masterful job of capitalizing on the spotlight being on KU and for what they've done and everything. I think he's done an excellent job. And he obviously had the stadium announcement last week. Here's what I would say about the stadium announcement. On one hand, you look at it and say, yes, that is something that I think is going to appeal to the Big Ten in terms of potentially sending an offer. But this the stadium situation is not a new thing. Right? Like, this has been something that we've known for about, I don't know, five, six years that we were going to have to get a new statement at some point. And now it just so happens that this new announcement with Travis Goff coincides with the fact that this realignment is happening right now or in the near future, plus K football is having success. So that certainly helps to it. And my big thing with KU, I think, is you want to make sure you're in a stable conference. And I think the Big 12 has certainly solidified themselves that they're going to be a stable conference in the future with the additions they're going to be making once Oklahoma and Texas depart. But there's no denying that the Big Ten is positioned to be more stable, make more money, and be a larger conference in the future than the Big 12. So I think from that standpoint, if the Big Ten comes calling, KU is certainly answering. If the Big Ten comes offering an invitation, I think KU would certainly accept. Now just the question becomes, would that happen? And I think from KU's standpoint, they have done everything right to set themselves up for a possible invitation. The football program is obviously progressing well. They had the big stadium announcement. So now they can point and say, hey, look, look at this investment we're making. Look what we're going to do with our football stadium. Look what we're going to do with all that stuff in terms of the Big Ten. Obviously, they're about to drop a banner here in about a little over an hour or so at Allen Fieldhouse. So there's no question that they're, that they're, KU is doing all of the right things to potentially set themselves up for an invitation. It's just a question now of if the Big Ten is going to offer them or if they're going to look towards more Pac-12 schools, if they're looking at Notre Dame, what their thought process is. Yeah. I think that it is a bit of a waiting game in, in that regard. Um, I, I'm sure this isn't something where, you know, KU is is just, hey, let's do everything in our power to leave the Big 12. But yeah, also, I I, like I you said— I don't think it's that at all. Yes, but it's also like you said. If the Big Ten does come calling, you say, yes— where yeah. do I sign up? Yeah, I don't think I don't think KU is trying to actively leave the Big Twelve yes. at all right now. But again, it's also because a, because again, a lot of the things they're announcing, like with the stadium, it's stuff that they already needed to do. Right. It just also so happens now to coincide with this timeline of realignment. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm not looking to leave Rock Chalk Sports Talk, but if CBS or whoever has the Super Bowl <laughs> is like, hey, leave there and we'll let you do the Super Bowl, it's like, okay, well, I'm sorry, guys. I've I've got to go take it. Um so that's kind of the situation they're in. And and yeah, I think that was the pitch before this season happened, or maybe last year, whatever, to the Big Ten. It was, look, we're 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 great at basketball. We've invested in some of these other sports like volleyball and and whatnot, and we're we're still making money and we're still profitable and still getting viewership, even though we're not good at football. And 
we're not going to be bad at football forever. Like, I, I know it has felt <laughs> like we've been bad for a really long time, but things change. Right. 12, and 12, 13 years is really a really small amount of time. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about team. a program that's lasted over 100 years, right? So, <laughs> um, it wasn't going to be bad forever, and I think now is the proof that, yeah, it's it's not bad forever, and they have it going at a perfect time, you know, before the, the Big 12 media rights are going to come up in a couple years here, and before Texas and Oklahoma are going to leave, so... Um, I would just say that it's just a waiting game. Just wait and see what happens. But yes, everything that has happened this year from the stadium stuff to the how good the football team is to investing in other programs as well. I know they've talked about wanting to work on some of the stuff with baseball and whatnot. Women's basketball team being good. Basketball winning a title and everything. Like all that is kind of coming at a very good point for KU here that makes them uh, very appetizing, I would imagine, for the Big Ten. And I don't, I don't think you can praise Travis Goff enough also Correct. for harnessing all of that into what he's done. Yeah, Travis Goff's been unbelievable hire for KU so far. Kevin, do you think the average – this is Kevin Flaherty, by the way. <laughs> do you think the average person misunderstands the First Amendment or HIPAA more? <laughs> this is a tough one, man. I think I'm going to go with HIPAA because I don't understand HIPAA. Mm-hmm. So that's my personal answer. I think I understand the Fourth Amendment more than I understand HIPAA. So I'm going to say I think HIPAA. I, th- I don't yeah. even know what HIPAA stands for. I don't know what it stands for, but my wife being a doctor, she's explained it to me many times. And, like, I'm scared to explain it on here because I feel like I'm going to say, say something, something wrong. wrong and then people are going to be like, <laughs> your wife told you that? That's and wrong. The, and I'm like, and well, no, it's probably kind of like a game of telephone. <laughs> she tells me this and then... Something a little bit different comes out. All these doctors on Twitter are going <laughs> to yeah. come out and say, well, that's not true. I, I think we see the HIPAA stuff maybe even more, though. This was a great question because we see both. But we see HIPAA a lot with, with yes. the athletic the HIPAA, stuff. The HIPAA card gets pulled a lot. Anytime somebody is like, you can't share that. Or like, <laughs> hey, I have this medical information on this player. Like, you can't share that. That's, HIPAA. that's not how HIPAA works. This yeah. is a brief understanding of it. You're going to get arrested. No, no. Um <laughs> You can only violate HIPAA if you are in a position of like a doctor's office or a basically business that you're not allowed to violate like confidential medical yes confidential patient. medical information. Yeah. If I am told by someone that X player has this injury or this sickness or whatever, I'm not a doctor. I am not bound <laughs> by HIPAA. I can share that information. So, uh yes, people do not understand what HIPAA is, um but okay. they love to share it. Okay, this one from Matt Top three players of interest for late night in the fog tonight. I think Grady Dick has got to be at the top of the list. Yeah. He's a rising star, a guy that seems like he's going to be an impact player right away as a freshman. So getting to see him, I think, is going to be one of the more exciting things from from the night. And, and honestly, we heard from KJ Adams, which will have that audio coming up. I, I, I'm, I'm excited for KJ Adams. I think, I think uh, he... It seems like he he has kind of been lost in the shuffle in terms of they got a couple of big guys coming in, and KJ Adams, while not necessarily a big, was forced to play that role quite a bit last year. But now maybe he won't have to really do that as much, and he can be more of a perimeter outside kind of flash of the rim type of guy. So I'm I'm curious to see what he does. I guess more in the season. I don't know how much we're going to see of any of that stuff at late night in the scrimmage, but yeah, I'm interested to see him as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll be interested in what his role is, but I, yeah. I don't know. Part of the thing of, of this question here is, like, what's what's it going to totally mean by look interest? like? Yeah, exactly. Because even though it's a scrimmage and even though we do get to see these guys and, and playing against each other and, and there's maybe some small takeaways we can have, this isn't a 
Like, it's not, oh, we're seeing the number ones versus the number twos, so we know who's yeah. the starter. Or we're not seeing um, them running sets or designed plays. It's it's not that organized. Like, Bill Self is, is you know, on the broadcast. He's not, like, <laughs> you know, coaching them up as they go during the game. So it's not going to be, like, super indicative of everything. And um, I wish I could uh, – I wonder if we can go back and find, like, past stat archives for past Late Night in the Fogs. To do, see, do they, like, do they track stats on that? I think they do, but I, I'd be interested to see like past years where it's like, oh, we thought this guy was going to be really good because he had 15 points in late <laughs> night in the fog and he just never played or, or couldn't crack the rotation or whatever it okay, is. Okay, yeah. So take that for what it's worth. For the grain of salt. Yes, exactly. But uh, the guys I, I may be most interested to see, obviously, like you said, Grady Dick. I think that just goes for all the newcomers, all the freshmen, because you want to see what it looks like physically out there. Uh, MJ Rice would probably be someone that would stick out in a game like this if it is up and down uh, transition game. Like, he's a big physical dude. I really want to see Zuby Edgefer. Like, you could say the same for all the centers because that's maybe the position that has the biggest question mark about which of those guys is going to start, which of those guys is going to play. I keep hearing good things about Zuby Edgefer. I know he wasn't ranked as high as Ernest Uday. I know you have Zach Clemens coming back, but I think this dude might crack the rotation and, and produce at a high level. So I want to see what that looks like for KU. And then the last one, Bobby Pettiford, we heard from Bill Self that, that he's injured and dealing with some injury stuff as he was kind of last year. Dewan Harris is obviously going to be the starting point guard. Who's going to be that second string? Who's going to be the, the other guard that comes in when they want to play two point guards together? I you think there's th- a big battle between Joe Yesifu and Bobby Pettiford. Yeah, you would think Yesifu yes. at this point. And, I mean, having the injuries for Pettiford kind of sucks that it might limit you from that competition. But I think we've also heard good things about Joe Yesfu in the offseason, that he's been a lot more aggressive, that he's been a lot better with his shot, that he's been a much better scorer, similar to what you thought you were getting when he came over from Drake. And maybe last year was playing a little bit of a different role as more of a facilitator and defender and, and things of that nature because of what KU had around him. But this year they could use more of that shot and the scoring prowess that he could provide. So I want to see how much more confident he is and, and how much better maybe that shot looks for Joe Yesifu. This one from Patrick. Would it be disappointing if KU doesn't win one of the next two games in football? This is kind of a loaded question, I think. And uh, and now, with the injury to Blake Shapin for Baylor, and I, uh, he's got a concussion, I think he probably will miss the game against KU. That might change things a little bit, too. I'm going to say no. Because I have been repeatedly circling back to, I'm not going to be concerned. I'm not going to overreact to KU unless they are five and four. They go to Texas Tech and they lose to become five and five. At that point, I will sit up in my chair. You'll have my attention, and I will be worried about worried or, dis- or concern or, dis- or I'll be disappointed. So I I don't you know unless KU just gets their doors blown off in both games. I don't think there's any reason to be disappointed. Like, if Dylan Gabriel ends up playing playing well for Oklahoma and it's a close game and KU loses, fine, whatever. If they go on the road to Baylor and it's a close game and they lose, okay, sure. I'm just – I'm just – that's just me. That's just me. I'm not going to be concerned until you get to that moment where you're 5-5 five and five after Texas Tech. That's fair. And, and I think it, it also kind of depends on what is your – what, what is your level of expectation at this point in time? Is it for them to reach eight or nine wins? Because then you probably would be a little disappointed if they lose one of the next two. I would not be, like you said. I, I think in a vacuum, a loss to either team, even after Baylor's 3-3 three and three and lost to West Virginia, like 
may, yes, if you, yeah, if you I get guess, blown if, out. Yeah, I guess if you're still dreaming of a conference championship run potentially, sure. then you probably need to certainly win maybe both of these games now yeah. with Baylor's situation. Um, but for me, just get to a bowl, man. Just yeah. get to a bowl. Yeah, and all that would still be in front of you even if you lost both. Yep. I, I do think this one would be more disappointing, even though Baylor hasn't been great so far this season, just from a standpoint of Oklahoma is kind of like a wounded animal right now. Yeah. And you have an opportunity to, to kind of go for the kill there. I uh, I think it wouldn't be disappointing, but it would also, for me, it would feel like the walls are caving in a little bit on making a bowl game. Yeah, I mean, I did mention it yesterday. Like, for KU right now, every game that they don't win to get that sixth win, the following game is just going to be more and more added pressure. Yes. And it is concerning that you think about a team that, you know, this is a team that outside of the coaching staff, the players, you know, some of these guys, they're this is they're this is their first real taste of winning, right? At the college level, for especially some of the guys that have been around been around KU for a while, right? And then if they start to lose again, you wonder what that might do mentally. So I think for me, I just trust Lance and I trust the coaching staff to kind of prevent that stuff that from really affecting them too much. But certainly, there's no question that that with every game that they don't get to that sixth win, the pressure just continues to exponentially get more and more on them. Well, this one I think maybe goes a little bit in conjunction with that. It is from Avery. You mentioned OU could be KU's most winnable game. Rank the rest of the season games by most to least winnable for KU. This is tough. I think. I think maybe you could put Oklahoma one right now. Texas Tech two, right? Three. Would you wait? Would you dare put Baylor ahead of Texas Tech? I think right now, no. If KU beats Oklahoma tomorrow, then I maybe would just because of like momentum purposes and everything else, right? But I think I'd go Texas Tech two. Baylor is. I text Tech's on the road too, but Baylor's on the road. Historically, KU has just really struggled against mm-hmm. Baylor. I'm going to go Texas Tech 2, Baylor 3. Oh boy, this is this is tough. Uh K-State 4, I guess. It's on the road though. I kind of want to put Texas I kind of want to put Texas 4. Huh? And then like K-State 5. That's Oklahoma, a hard exercise. Oklahoma State 6. But Oklahoma State, if they lose to TCU, suddenly you think, okay, you have a chance there. So, I don't know. I think right now I'm going OU, Texas Tech, Baylor, Texas, K-State, Oklahoma State. So, I know that we saw KU have success against, I mean, beat Texas and have success against Texas a lot more recently maybe than Oklahoma State. I kind of think the Oklahoma State one's more winnable. I just think, oh, Texas is better than Oklahoma State. Um, Yeah, I mean, I could, I yeah, I don't have a real argument against that. I do think, though, that in some order, the Oklahoma and Baylor game are two of your two or your three most winnable. Yeah, I and it's also a little nerve wracking. I don't that think I don't think there's any question that it's Baylor, Texas, or Baylor, Texas Tech, and Oklahoma in some three. order. Yes, and that do, is a little bit more nerve wracking, though, that all three of those are on the road. I would agree with that. Like you, would, but I mean, they've already played. They 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 only have two home games left. So, yeah, I mean, you're going to have some of your road games have to be winnable. Yeah, and and it's also important to point out, I think that. Um, KU's already won two road games, so it's not like that's been an issue for them this season as much as it has been maybe in past years for this program. So I I think that would be the answer there. But maybe that goes back into the idea. If if Oklahoma and Baylor are two of your three most winnable or your two most winnable, then maybe if you do only go, if you go 0-2 over these next two weeks, 
Maybe there's going to be a little bit of panic from the fan base about, uh-oh, is this happening just like 2009? Yeah, maybe. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I don't want to end on a uh, a low note there, so let's just say this. Uh, KU over Oklahoma by 50. Okay. KU 7-1, right. and one, coming <laughs> off a bye against Oklahoma State. All right, uh, KU landed a four-star, top 20 recruit in the country. We'll talk about it next, plus some KJ Adams audio. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it.